crossroads of empires, battleground of the ages, city of peace and of war. This is Jerusalem, where archaeology uncovers the empires of yesterday, where prophecy decodes the headlines of today. This is where history and prophecy come alive. This is Watch Jerusalem. Hello and welcome back to Watch Jerusalem. I'm your host, Brent Noctegal. I'm here in Jerusalem, but today we're going to be talking to one of our archaeology writers that lives currently in England, uh, just north of Stratford-upon-Avon. There on the campus of Herbert W. Armstrong College is where he works, and he does write for us for Watch Jerusalem uh, on occasion, or actually quite a lot. Um, Christopher Eames is his name, and he is also an area supervisor on Dr. Elotmazar's excavations here on the Ophel in Jerusalem. And when he's not excavating, he is writing about all things archaeology. And so today we're going to be talking about Nehemiah, the time period of the governor of Judea, or Yehud, as it was called uh, at the time. This is the period after Israel and Judah had gone into captivity and a remnant, a faithful remnant, really, were allowed to return back to Judea. The temple was rebuilt. They were struggling for a while, and then... They received the necessary leadership and help through the governor uh, being uh, Nehemiah, helping them build the infamous wall in 52 days. And so we are going to talk about him today. Nehemiah, of course, is a man that is close to my heart, so close, in fact, that I named my son Nehemiah after the biblical figure, just because of the the amazing uh, biographical details we have about him in the Bible. Biographical details, as you'll learn today, are historically accurate in terms of the people that he came into contact with. And so to help us with looking at the book of Nehemiah and its historicity, we have Christopher Reams on the line. Thanks for coming on the show, Chris. My pleasure. So you've co-written an article on the Elephantine Papyrus. Uh, There's many different ways to pronounce that word. Uh, And so Chris will probably pronounce that differently to me. And it's it's basically describing this uh, group of Jews that lived way down south in Egypt at the time of the biblical uh, governor of Judea, uh, Nehemiah. And so this is a really fascinating topic because it's from the same biblical period, and yet we're talking about a group of Jews that lived elsewhere. What can you tell us about uh, how these people got there? And then we can talk about the papyrus itself. Okay, well, this elephantine community... Uh, was located on a on a really strange little island deep within the Nile River, uh, deep within southern Egypt, which was known as Upper Egypt, um, even though it was in the south. Uh, little community there, and in terms of the the history behind how this community community got set up, uh, there is a lot of debate. No one knows exactly when this this random Jewish community appears deep within. Uh, southern Egypt, but one of the main uh, one of the main theories is that it happened during the reign of King Manasseh. So this was during the seventh century BC, around about the middle part of the seventh century BC. And the uh, the evidence for this is mainly taken from the letter of Aristeas from the second century BC, and it talks about uh, how during the reign of the Egyptian pharaoh Sematicus, Sematicus the first. Several Jews were sent over to help him in his campaigns against the Nubians or, or the Ethiopians who were to the south. So this, together with uh, Herodotus's writings, uh, are the main 
evidence, shall we say, for when this community actually got started, that, that Manasseh sent a, sent a large uh, contingent of troops to help the Egyptian Pharaoh Somaticus in his campaigns against the South, against Ethiopia, along with several other uh, foreign troops. So, and, so, so he's um, these this group of people um, that are on this island. Uh, they are participating in uh, warfare for a foreign power, which you don't really think of Jews participating in that way. Right. Yeah, we've we've got to to remember the context of this history as well, because there were there was a lot of conflict going on between Assyria and between Egypt. Uh, just before this time period, Assyria had invaded uh, Egypt, and during the time of Semeticus, he was able to to bring about some independence for Egypt. And so, you caught up in between that, you've got Judah, and Judah, the nation of Judah, is thinking, "What's the best thing for us? Who can we help support uh, to get the best?" deal for ourselves. And so there was a lot of wheeling and dealing going on. Of course, there's the account of King Manasseh uh, found in the Bible and in the Assyrian records of King Manasseh being actually taken captive by the Assyrians. And so he, he really, in that respect, had a vested interest in helping the Egyptians. He had no interest really uh, in, in the Assyrians after what they did personally to him. I mean, the account talks about him having hooks put in his nose and carried off to captivity. So definitely King Manasseh was more on the um, more sympathetic toward the Egyptian cause. And so that would lead to uh, him also being more willing to supply uh, foreign troops for Semeticus's army. Um, and so Semeticus did this campaign against the Ethiopians. He was successful. And it seems that uh, after this, a Jewish outpost was left on this island to guard the southern part of Egypt, really. They made, they made up uh, several, one part of several elements of a foreign army, and the Jewish outpost, it appears, was left during this time period, middle part of the 7th century BC, on this island, uh, just north of Ethiopia. So we have uh, a lot of written documents that have come out from this this colony of Jews, this fortress of, of Jewish fortress, basically, on the southern frontier of Egypt, as you're describing and they're known as the elephant and papyri. Um, when were they discovered, and what important details do they tell us of the life of the people that lived uh, on this little island? Well, the the elephantine papyri, papyri, papyrus, the one we're discussing today, but in general, the the papyruses, shall we say, collection of about 175 documents. Uh, they span several hundred years, I believe. They most, if not all, were discovered in the early 1900s. Um, uh, the one specifically today discovered that we're dis discussing today was discovered in 1909. Uh, and they are uh, a collection of everyday life uh, accounts, basically, of what was happening in Elephantine. And they're really interesting because they're all in Aramaic. And this is somewhat peculiar and, and adds to the mystery of this Jewish group because it's not in the standard Hebrew. And so there's some theories as to why that may, may be the case. Uh, around the time of Manasseh, there was a Judean king, uh, a, a, an element of the Judean kingdom up north in Syria. And there's a theory that these Syrian Jews essentially made up the army that Manasseh sent down. And because they were from up north, they spoke Aramaic. So that's one part of it. 
Uh, it's really interesting, the, the religious customs of this Jewish community, because we call them Jewish, but they were only really Jewish in name. Uh, there, there was a, a whole lot of paganism, really, that happened in the community, and they were centered around this temple that they had built that that really resembled Solomon's temple. So in a way, it looked like it was uh, Jewish stuff going on, and there was some kind of a Passover ritual that they did. But of course, according to the Torah, uh, and according to, to, to the Tanakh, it's wrong for such a building to be established, uh, an, another temple to be established in this opposite location while you've still got the temple there and in Jerusalem. And so they had kind of taken some re religious liberty to set up their own temple, uh, somewhat replicating Solomon's temple to do their own kind of religious things, which in a way slightly matched some of the Jewish traditions, but, uh, but in principle went against uh, it's the the commandments. Yeah, this might be even like a bit of a tangent, but it's it sounds like um, it more like an Israelite type of worship rather than uh, like an Israelite worship from the time of let's say from Jeroboam onwards that type of thing where they still would worship God, but they did it in their own way. They took some of the pagan customs of um, of the people around them, and then when the Assyrians came in around this time, you had the Assyrian element that's added to. Uh, the northern religion and then especially if these people came out of that time it makes sense for it to be a corrupted version of it so let's go straight into this uh, papyrus number 30 because that is the one that zooms in on a couple of biblical characters one in particular that is a very well-known figure and a very central figure in the story relating to the time of Nehemiah. So maybe you can describe that uh, specific papyrus. Okay. Well, this papyrus dates to about 407 BC. And at this point in time, that temple that we described at Elephantine has been destroyed. And so the Jewish community in Elephantine is writing to uh, to Judah, to, to the governor in Judah at that time period, asking for an appeal to, to, to help and, and approve this reconstruction of their temple in Elephantine. So the letter starts going through what happened to the temple, uh, a group of Egyptians that came and destroyed it. Uh, it, it it's addressed to Bagohi, the governor, or Big Vi. There's a couple of ways of uh, pronouncing pronouncing that uh, no one's certain about that, and so it isn't Nehemiah the government the governor at this point. Again, this is at the end of the fifth century BC, so it's a new governor. But there are still a couple of names, like you said, mentioned from the book of Nehemiah, and one in particular is Jehohanan, Jehohanan, the high priest. Now this figure is mentioned uh, in Ezra chapter ten verse six. Nehemiah 12, verses 22 to 23, he's mentioned as being of the priestly family in this biblical account. And so... Uh, this well, the high priestly family, right? Right. And so uh, by this point in time, obviously he wasn't at that point the high priest, but by this point, by the end of the 5th century, he had evidently become the high priest. And so you have this Elephantine community who's appealing to him. They say, we sent a letter to our Lord and to Jehohanan, the high priest, and his colleagues, the priests who were in Jerusalem, uh, basically to rebuild this temple. So let's, yeah. let's just talk about the context for this just to help people um, 
remember where we're talking, uh, what we're talking about. The book of Nehemiah, again, that is, it starts at 445 BCE. So that is when Nehemiah, the governor, is coming back to, to the province of Yehud. The province of Yehud is this really small colony. Uh, you've got Samaria to the nor- nor- south, uh, north, sorry, and then a bunch of other districts around them. And those districts, including Yehud, make up a, a larger Persian province of across the river. Uh, and that's one of many large Persian provinces. So we're in the Persian period right now. The temple in Jerusalem's already been built by Zerubbabel and and Ezra is on the scene now as the same time as Nehemiah, um, about, uh, let's say, 40 or 50 years after the temple has been constructed, or maybe even a little bit more than that, maybe 70 years. And so the Bible ends. The Bible ends, let's say, as far as the biblical narrative goes, we know that Nehemiah has one term as governor for a period of 12 years. And then there's a certain gap of time. And if he starts in 445, then he's governor to 433 or 432. And then there's a gap of a certain period of time. And he goes back and he's governor again. The Bible doesn't talk about that. And the biblical narrative ends at that point. And so when you're saying that this papyrus is dated from 407, we're talking about the decade or the couple of decades after the Bible ends its narrative. And what you're saying is we we have people that are mentioned in this late 20 years later after the Bible ends that are also mentioned as younger people, I guess, in the book of Nehemiah. Yes, that's right. And they're they're in uh, this now for Jehohanan. He's in this elevated position as high priest at this time period. And of course, Nehemiah is gone from the scene. So we have a new governor uh, of Yehud. So we, we have Jehohanan mentioned uh just to provide a little extra detail, Josephus talks about uh, some details regarding him and that he had actually killed his brother in order to retain his high priest title. Uh, I mentioned that the letter was addressed to Bagohi and Jehohanan. There was actually a falling out, according to Josephus, between these two, between the high priest Jehohanan and the governor Bagohi. And Bagohi apparently had wanted Jehohanan's brother to become the high priest and was going to install him as high priest. And then this brother and Jehohanan had had a disagreement in the temple and Jehohanan ended up killing his own brother and becoming the high priest himself. So there's a little bit of really interesting extra biblical intrigue there that goes on, um, which which really helps to color color the, 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 the narrative a little bit more. When, when you read the Bible and just see these names, and, and not extra detail there. It really helps fill out their, their story. So that's the first significant biblical figure mentioned in this papyrus. And then the second one is Sanballat, the governor. So this now, is he, one that people have probably heard about this name. I hope if you've read the book of Nehemiah, you know this man. He's the, the arch nemesis of Nehemiah. Right. And again, we say that this this letter was written later after these events in the book of Nehemiah. And that's certainly the case as we read with regards to Sanballat, because this letter is actually addressed to the sons, uh, to the sons of Sanballat. And, and it reads, moreover, all these things in a letter we sent in our name to Deliah and Shelemiah, sons of Sanballat, governor of Samaria. So this is Sanballat the first. He's, he's the Horonite, Sanballat the Horonite the governor of Samaria, mentioned a number of times throughout the book of of Nehemiah. Like you said, he was a sworn enemy of the Jews. Uh, The book of Nehemiah actually relates that he was 
he was related to Jehohanan, the high priest, through a marriage. Uh, Sanballat's daughter had married into that priestly family. And so you've got the, the big arch enemies. You've got Sanballat, you've got Tobiah, the Ammonite, you've got Geshem, the Arabian. And these were all working to, to stop Nehemiah's efforts to, uh, to rebuild Jerusalem, to rebuild this wall around uh, Jerusalem. Perhaps I'll just uh, just read maybe one of the verses where they're all mentioned. Um, we'll go to Nehemiah chapter 2, and right at the end there, it talks about how Nehemiah just gets back to Jerusalem. He discusses with the Jerusalemites that he has the, the authority of the Persian emperor Artaxerxes to come back and build the wall, and the Jews are excited. They're ecstatic by this. But then you have the these enemies that are surrounding uh, Nehemiah's little district or mini province, I guess, of Yehud. And this is one of the Sanballat. Well, he's one of those governors. This is what verse 19 says. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that you do? Will you rebel against the king? And so it's interesting there because you're introduced to these three characters and you're you're telling me that this uh, this Sanballat has been discovered outside the Bible written which I love this is you're talking about an area that's all the way down the south of Egypt on an island in the, in the middle of nowhere basically and here is a biblical character that's that's uh, testified to Right and it also shows the significance of these characters that they're not just found in a tiny little area in which they precisely governed, but they're being referenced, they're being talked about thousands of miles away down at the bottom end of Egypt. And, and we're finding these uh, papyri discussing such seemingly small biblical figures, I guess, in the wider frame of things. He's not a David, he's not a uh, Hezekiah, but still, he's 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 such a significant uh, individual and sig significant leader during that time that even this governor, not even a king, he's a governor, is mentioned so far away. So it's really incredible uh, corroboration there, and not just from this papyrus, but there's also a bulla that was found uh, that most likely refers to him. It is a broken bulla, so we can't be absolutely sure of it, but it does does reference. Uh, uh, the San is missing, but a ballot governor of Samaria. Uh, so there's a good chance that, that that refers to him as well. So we've got one of these governors, San Ballot, from the book of Nehemiah, um, that the Elephantine Papyri, number 31, you say, backs up and supports. You've also written an article on Nehemiah himself and the other corroborating evidence. And you go into Geshem, uh, and I'm just going to quote from that article because you probably don't have it in front of you, but I do. And this is this is what you say about Geshem. Geshem the Arabian has been discovered by archaeology with near certainty. The name Geshem or Gashmu, which both of those versions exist in Nehemiah describing him, uh, king of Kedar, which uh, you go on to write, has been found in the 5th century BCE bowl. Kedar is a significant kingdom to the northwest of Arabia, thus fitting Geshem's biblical description as the Arabian. And then you mentioned another possible name as well. Tobiah, you say, hasn't been found yet, but Tobiah is such a common name of the Ammonites. That's where he's described as coming from. The house of Tobiah uh, came from Ammon, that he is definitely a historical figure, even though this one might not have been discovered yet. And so here you've got the three main enemies of Nehemiah trying to stop the work of the construction of this wall. And every single one of them 
has been basically found out to be an accurate uh, or portrayed accurately inside the Bible and in secondary sources. That's right. And you've got a fourth one there as well with, I think it's Tatanai, Tatanai, the, as the Bible says, Tatanai, governor of across the river, which is a really weird title. Who is this guy, governor of across the river? And then that guy has been uh, absolutely proven as well through archaeology and even the specific title. Right. Governor of Across the River, really random title. Yeah, uh, if that if, has been found. Ezra and Nehemiah is another one of those books that you can just go through, whether it's whether you're talking about Zerubbabel's time and you're talking about the Persian rulers in, involved there with, with Cyrus and Darius and Xerxes going to the Book of Esther, or Tatanay, as you said, the governor across the river during the time of, uh, let's say, that was the time of Darius, right when they re- uh, started rebuilding the temple again after a brief stop um, during Haggai and Zechariah's time. I mean, if you go through these books, you can just tick tick off the names as being, this one's been proven, this one's been proven, and you get to the book of Nehemiah, and just to summarize what you've talked about here, you've got all the enemies of Nehemiah being proven, one of them here from the Elephanti Papyri. Then you have the continuation of the high priestly line that's laid out the end of book of Nehemiah. That's concern, uh, confirmed uh, as well. And so it's just amazing. This is 2,500 years ago. Yeah, and, and how well-preserved the record is. And even when the names themselves don't necessarily link up uh, and let me explain that Sanballat's sons in this papyrus are talked about as being Shelemiah and Delilah uh, Deliah. and we don't know if that matches up with the big biblical character but the, both of these names Shelemiah and Deliah are used throughout that time period in the Bible so even when we can't be sure that they are a certain person in from the Bible just the fact that the names match with the period and fit with that context, and, and I've written a whole article about it for Watch Jerusalem, um, the biblical Neelys, or, or, or I forget the exact title of it, but even just that shows the, the accuracy of the Bible to use the right names in the right periods, and for that corroboration of that to be found through archaeology as well. Yeah, we tend to think that the biblical names, you know, they existed, and of course you do, you have David's once David comes along, then you have lots of Davids that start popping up elsewhere in the, in the, well, actually not that many, but you have others. Uh, Isaiah, you have plenty of Isaiahs in the Bible. You have plenty of Jeremiah's, but basically they don't come around until the actual biblical character, which I find interesting. Interesting. You do have a biblical character and that name is in vogue at that moment. And then it continue on, continues on thereafter, like Mordecai for one. I mean, you don't see Mordecai anywhere in the Bible until you see this popular figure Mordecai take place in the book of Esther. And then, then you have Mordecai starting to appear in history after that as well. Um, yeah, we'll leave a link to that as well uh, in this, in this, uh, for this show. Again, again, this article we're talking about right now is entitled Elephantine Papyrus Proving the Book of Nehemiah. We'll also leave a link to Chris's other, uh, uh, just a larger expose of the time period of Nehemiah. So you can see all the artifacts well, not even all of them, but a lot of them that prove the biblical characters are real, are historical figures from from other um, sources, historical sources outside the Bible. And we'll also throw in that link to the article about biblical names. So thanks for thanks for really detailing this history for us. You are working on 
some other fascinating projects for Watch Jerusalem right now. Maybe you can give us a little bit of insight into what you've been spending your time on lately. Sure. Well, uh, obviously, there's the Watch Jerusalem magazine, which we're preparing to send out that, that first issue. I believe it's a September issue. And then primarily, we're working on the book about King David, uh, detailing the life of King David and, and seeing if it matches up with science. There's, there's this massive debate going on. Uh, it has been going on for several decades now. Did David really exist? And more specifically, what was the extent of his kingdom? Because, of course, with the discovery of things like the Teldan Stealer, these, these prove that a King David did exist and established a monarchy. So, okay, how, how big was his kingdom? How, how, how powerful was that kingdom? How accurate is the biblical account? So with this book, uh, I'm not sure what the, what the listeners might, might not already know about this, but with this book, we're really looking at going in detail into the discoveries, the archaeological discoveries, the secular accounts, to see just how much of the biblical account of King David has been corroborated, just how much has been found, if the Bible really is accurate with with King David's existence, with 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 his account. So that's that's primarily what I've been working through lately. Uh, finished the draft of I think the first three chapters, and and so um, we're we're moving ahead with that. It's a, it's a team effort, so it's it's. Um, it's coming along well, I think, and hopefully, I guess we shouldn't put time limits on things, but hopefully in the coming months, something uh, will be, uh, so hopefully that'll be wrapping up. Yeah, well, I definitely think it is It is worth waiting for, <laughs> however long it takes us to put us together. But there is a crunch on it. Our editor-in-chief, Mr. Gerald Flurry, he wants that book um, ready to give. It's going to be offered for free on watchjerusalem.co.il. Of course, you can write to our program, letters at watchjerusalem.co.il. That's our email address. You can, I wouldn't put your request in just yet, um, but we will certainly notify you as we get through that book. And again, it's going to be a, a book that's accessible to everybody. It is so easy to, well, it's so hard to gets the inf scientific information when it comes to archaeology and the debate over David and put it in layman's terms and simple and just simple terms that everybody can understand and that's what we're aiming to do with this book we want it accessible to you we want you to pick up a book that that puts the bible and what the bible actually says the narrative of the bible not what people say the bible says but what the bible actually says and then stack against it the archaeological proof and then you can make a decision. Uh, of course, we obviously believe David existed. We obviously believe that the Bible is an accurate narrative, um, but we're, we're not going to paint it or cloud it. We'll just show you what evidence exists at this point. Again, we're talking about a history from 3,000 years ago, and we're scraping in the dirt, little patches of earth on mounds across Israel to try and find it. And I think it's absolutely incredible if you can find even anything. And so... We're going to lay that proof out in that book. Right. And I think readers will be really interested to see just how much has been discovered. I myself, going through this and writing this, it's just kind of blown me away about how much evidence there actually is and how much hasn't been reported. Right. Uh, perhaps in its own right, it wasn't such a massive discovery. But when you stack all these things together, all these accumulative pieces, it really paints a really awesome, amazing picture of David's reign and uh, really helps to, to show 
and bring light to to the biblical account. So, and again, readers will prove for themselves whether or not uh, they 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 think David's kingdom was uh, just like the Bible said, just as grand as the Bible says. That'll be for the readers to to digest and and decide. Okay, well, thank you very much for that, Chris, for filling in all these details and for coming on the show for us today. My pleasure. Thank you. So if you would like to read any of those articles, please click the links below the the show notes or in the show notes, and you can go ahead and arm yourself with this information and just be inspired by the historical accuracy of the Bible. And please do be looking out for that book as it comes out in the future. And if you haven't yet, please be one of those people that sign up for our new magazine. It's coming out the first issue, probably partway through September. It's entitled Watch Jerusalem, just like this program, just like the website. But it can be a hard copy of of articles such as what you see on the website, but even more in depth. Thank you again for listening to all of you. We'll see you next week.